Hey guys, Wes here. And you know what this music means. It's commercial time on the GoBoss 24-7 podcast. Here again today alongside Grant to talk to you about Dancing with the Knoxville Stars. If you don't know that by this point, then you're just not listening to the commercials at the beginning of the GoBoss 24-7 podcast. And shame on you, because we're trying to help children here. Dancing with the Knoxville Stars, Saturday, April 14th at the Knoxville Convention Center. Dinner starts at 6 p.m., show at 7 p.m. Dancing with the Knoxville Stars, of course, as y'all know by now, is our local version of that hit national television program. Uh, There's myself and seven other so-called local celebrities. Leslie Ackerson, WBIR, Tyrone, Star 102.1, Heather Haley from WVLT, Laura Helm from WATE, former professional cheerleader Lisa Henderson, local sports reporter and PR professional Sarah Mitchell, Dr. Amit Patel from East Tennessee Children's Hospital, and the lovely Sylvia Peters, who's a local art patron and philanthropist. The eight of us are competing in fundraising, and we're also competing in the dancing competition. Uh, And the lovely Rachel Enriquez and I have been practicing several times a week for the past few weeks. Uh, She is very graceful and awesome at this. I am very not, but we're going to have fun with this. How can you help, guys? ETCH.com slash DWTKS. ETCH.com slash DWTKS. You can get a ticket for $75, or you can get a VIP table, which is four tickets, along with some complimentary champagne. All tickets come with dinner, which starts at 6 p.m. And if you don't want to do the full thing, you just want to give a couple bucks, you can do that. You can just go directly to the site, etch.com slash DWTKS, and you can donate directly there to me or one of my competitors if you want me to lose. That's www.etch.com slash DWTKS. ETCH.com slash DWTKS. Grant, what's that website? It's the website where you go to to give Wes, uh, to give money to Wes's opponent. That works too. ETCH.com slash DWTKS. ETCH.com slash DWTKS. Uh, they're wanting to get back in and they're excited about getting going back. But, uh, that they know, again, it was all new for them and how fun it is, but then how quickly it can end. All right. We've got no food, we've got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off! You can do it! What is that? That's what she said. Hey, I love you! What? Nothing! Take it back! Yes, no! Good morning, afternoon, evening. Brunch time, lunch time, Sister Jean in the Final Four time, spring football time, but this isn't a football podcast time, Grant and Wes in the studio time, whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, Wes Rucker, Grant Ramey coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a somewhat pleasant, overcast Monday afternoon in Knoxville, feeling Looks a little Midwestern out there, sun trying to peek through the clouds unsuccessfully. It's not snowing. Actually, if I had to think about it, that's probably a good state motto for Ohio. Sun trying to peek through the clouds unsuccessfully. I got no problem with Ohio. Come visit Ohio. There's a lot of presidents from there and some of my family. Just seems like the sun never shines there for most of the year, kind of like England. It's always the feeling I get when I'm in Ohio or Lexington, Kentucky. And Lexington, Kentucky is, of course, a really good segue to talking about this basketball podcast. For those of you who are looking for the football podcast, we'll be back Friday morning, probably, with that. 
but this was originally scheduled for last week, and then Tennessee had to have the mother of all document drops, the Pentaval papers, as I've tried to call them, and it's not catching on, but I'm going to keep trying anyway. It's a good effort. Good try. Good effort. Kind of like my Ohio State motto. However, we had to bump this podcast, the Basketball Season Review Podcast, to today. It was going to be late last week, but, you know, things change. It happens. It's Tennessee. You never know. Head on a swivel. But for those of you who missed a lot of this basketball season, well, you missed uh, one hell of a fun ride, actually. It, It did not end, I think, the way that anyone wanted it to end. But this Tennessee basketball team, and again, this is probably the last time we'll be able to to, to make this comparison before I officially get so sick of it, I'm never going to mention it again. But a Tennessee team that was picked to finish 13th in the Southeastern Conference won I've the Southeastern Conference. Before. You've heard that? You heard they were picked 13th? Uh, a couple times, actually. That's almost getting to be like the uh, Cubs 1908 thing or something. Like I've heard this enough. But yes, Tennessee was picked to finish 13th in the SEC and then won the Southeastern Conference. Uh, then did a, did a pretty good job, pretty good job in the SEC tournament. Played well enough, but got to the got to the final dance and lost to Kentucky, a team that it had swept during the regular season, which, again, sweeping Kentucky during the regular season, always a good thing for the University of Tennessee basketball team, something that had not been done in quite a while. 20 years. 20, 20 That's how years. special it is. It's, it had been 20 years since it happened. And, and here, here, here's the painful thing about basketball, or I guess you could say a lot of sports, but, but in basketball it seems in particular – you can have such a memorable ride during the regular season. And this was a Tennessee team. This was the third year of Rick Barnes. A lot of people still not quite fully on the bus yet. This team, unlike those Pearl teams, which kind of captivated people early on, this Tennessee team, it, it kind of took a while for the momentum to build and people to start realizing, hey, this team is pretty good. You would think that beating Purdue early in the season would let you know but then again, if you're a hardcore Tennessee football fan, do you know how good that Purdue basketball team was? You, you, you don't know. Uh, got that big lead on Villanova. Uh, showed some signs early that it could be a good basketball team. But people eventually caught on. And then once SEC play started, especially toward the tail end of SEC play, momentum really got going for this team. And it felt like that place, Thompson Bowling Arena, was getting pretty special again. And, of course, it culminates with, you know, you had that, that late-season dip with losses uh, at, at Alabama, at Georgia. Tennessee rebounds from that, runs the table, wins the Southeastern Conference or a co-SEC championship, gets to the championship game in the SEC tournament, but this is how cruel basketball is. Tennessee was a great Cinderella story that ran into an even greater Cinderella story and Tennessee loses its best defensive post guy, clearly Kyle Alexander, a guy who's so much more important than the stats indicate that he is. And Tennessee loses at the buzzer to Loyola. Even in that game, fought back, didn't play well, but kind of the story of this team kind of was grinding it out and finding a way, took the lead in the final 20 seconds, uh, and then with three seconds to go, boom, Loyola hits that shot that hits every single square millimeter of the rim in the backboard and goes in. And so you're looking at, when you say, was this a good season, on so many levels, it was a good season. But this is a postseason sport. So how, therefore, 
do you categorize this season? Where do you begin to break this down with such a great regular season and then such a disappointing round of 32 loss in the tournament? Uh, a good season with a disappointing ending. Uh, you become a victim of your own success when you come into a season picked to do nothing and you do a lot of stuff in the regular season and you do a lot of stuff in the SEC tournament. Uh, play within five points of winning that game and, and have to come back from 17 down and all that stuff. And uh, to, to really hammer Wright State the way they did in the first round, uh, a team that was had to be the worst 14 seed in the field, and then you get a team that's playing basketball really well right now in Loyola that's probably better than an 11 seed to begin with. But not only that, they're playing their best brand of basketball when it matters most. Obviously, you can see that right now. They're still in the Final Four. Uh, but it's a disappointing ending because as poorly as Tennessee played, as, as behind as they were for most of that game, they were down 10 with four minutes left, and they found a way to erase that lead very quickly uh, and take a lead on that Grant Williams three-point play with 20.1 seconds left. And at that point, it looks like it's destiny uh, that this team's going to go on to, to Atlanta in the South Regional uh, Final and or semifinal and final in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. And if that happens, it becomes a good season with a pretty solid ending. Uh, regardless of what happens there. But the fact that they don't get out of the round of 32 after the season they had, it's a disappointing ending, but you can't chalk it up as a bad season or a disappointing season, uh, just a disappointing ending. Yeah, th- that's – I think in speaking with Lamonte Turner kind of moments after that that Loyola game, and, you know, it's just hard. If you've never been or, or seen some of these clips, you know, one of the only times we get into the locker room all season is during tournament play. And so we actually get locker room access, and so you can kind of get a real feel for, you know, how things are before they can really put their best face on it. And so you see just a lot of – I hate to use the word like devastation, but it, it's just a its just a deflated room. You know, you've got some guys staring at the wall in disbelief. You've got some guys in tears who can barely, you know, utter out syllables. Uh, it's just a really tough place to be. And it, even in that moment, Lamonte Turner, I thought, had a really good answer. One of the local, uh, it might have been one of the the Dallas TV people or someone was asking him, you know, this was still a great season for for you guys, wasn't it? With where you were picked to be and where you got. And Lamonte kind of collected himself and he said, you know, I can't really break it. I can't call this a great season because we showed what we could do and we didn't do it. And he said the the best way I can put it probably is this was a great regular season and a bad postseason. And I think that he may have been a little harsh, but I think when you look at where this team should have been, you know, you can either look at it as this is where they were picked to be, or you can look at it as, well, some of us told you all they were never going to be the 13th best team in the SEC. Uh, now, even us, we didn't think they would win the league. But you can look at it from a standpoint of this is where they were picked to be or this is where they thought they'd be. And if you look at it from this is where they thought they'd be, uh, it is a disappointment. But when you look at what this team did throughout the year, if it's about the process, then the process with this team was a really, really, really fun ride. And it was a special group of guys And here's the best news. More than 90% of everything this team does, statistically, should be back next season or could be back next season. And that's when you start looking at the future, and we'll get more into that in a minute. But, you know, that 
there's no way to look around or to overlook, you know, there's no way to ignore, I guess I should say, the fact that you don't want to play butterfly effect, butterfly effect, if I can get that word out. But if Tennessee takes care of business against Loyola, it looks for all the world like Tennessee is playing Nevada for a trip to the Elite Eight and Kansas State for a trip to the Final Four. And that kind of opportunity does not come around all the time. You're normally having to go through a Kentucky, a Duke, a Kansas, a North Carolina, you know, when they're when they're rolling a Syracuse, a UCLA, <clears throat> Arizona, you've normally got to go beat up a big boy to get there. And Tennessee would not have had to do that if the rest of the if if Kyle Alexander doesn't get hurt, Tennessee takes care of Loyola. Because I think if Tennessee took care of Loyola, I think Kyle could have played the next week. I don't think he would have been 100%, but I think he could have played. We don't know that for sure. Maybe you do, Grant. But I, I got the sense that there was a chance he could have played against Loyola, but they tested it before the game and he just wasn't ready. But I think with their training staff with a full week, I think they'd have had him good to go, uh, good enough to go. And then you're looking at, again, Nevada and Kansas State for a trip to the Final Four. And that is... By any measure, that's an opportunity lost. Yeah, but I don't think you can look at butterfly effect because, you know, if if you give Cincinnati a 20-point lead with 10 minutes left 100 times, they're going to beat Nevada 99 times. They just happen to not beat Nevada the one time it counted. But that Nevada team had done that throughout the tournament. Sure, but in most cases, you're not going to blow a 20-point lead. Agreed. Uh, If you look at Kentucky and Kansas State, if those teams play 10 times, I'm going to take Kentucky to win nine of them. Kansas State just happened to – Kentucky played really poorly. Kansas State played good enough to win. They got out to a 13-1 lead to start the game and, and kind of set a tone from there. And uh, they looked awful against Loyola. They were the team that – it was incredible that Kentucky managed to lose to that team the way they played against Loyola. Uh, what what made it so devastating, I guess, for Tennessee is uh, they didn't just lose. They had erased that 10-point lead in the final four minutes. They had went ahead with a Grant Williams and one that, that looked like it was – uh, it looked like that was kind of their magical ending to, to get to the Sweet 16, and they just – someone else's magic got in the way. I mean, uh, Jordan Bowden doesn't really contest that shot. I guess he's afraid of fouling right there at the foul line with 3.6 seconds left, and Clayton Custer gets a shot that hits the rim, hits the backboard, comes down, hits both sides of the rim, and bounces in. I mean, that's – Third funky bounce of the half, too. And And everything that had happened for Tennessee, it seemed like such a magical season all year, the way they – uh, won at Kentucky in the final minute in a game where, where neither team led by four points. They find a way to win at Rupp. Um, the way they had uh, took care of business down the stretch to to end up sharing the regular season title, and, and they're sitting there cutting down the nets at Thompson Bowling Arena uh, after the season finale. And, and even the way they, they hung on against Mississippi State in the quarterfinals, they uh, started so fast against Arkansas and took care of business then, and they had come back. With the, you know, they had a 20-5 to five run over the f- course of eight minutes to erase a big Kentucky lead in the SEC title game. So it looked like so much of this team, it was just kind of their destiny to have a, a, a long march run. And uh, and they looked really comfortable against Wright State. They looked like a three-seed that uh, handled business like a three-seed uh, three seed should against a 14-seed and then some. I mean, they hammered Wright State. That game was never really close. Uh, and then they just didn't play so well. Um, they they needed help. They needed a rim protector. They needed to help uh, 
with the way Loyal likes to drive and, and get looks at the rim and pump fakes and, and kind of tears apart your perimeter defense. But it's just somebody's magic got in the way of Tennessee's, and, and that's why it was so uh, devastating. I mean, that locker room was awful. That was not a fun place to be when you're trying to, you know. Yeah, it's almost like you don't want to interview him, but you ha- I mean, that's just part of the job. It, it's like you're in someone, it, it's like you're, and I hate to, to make this comparison, but it almost feels like you're at a funeral where you didn't know the person who died. You know, you're there and all these people who have invested so much time and blood and sweat and tears and equity and everything they have into this for years, and they get everything lined up for this special moment, and then it doesn't happen. And it feels like I do not belong in this space. And, and, you know, on those days where even when they're in a good mood like that, if if it's one of those deals where some of the guys have been in there and we've talked to them and then we're waiting on other guys to get in the locker room, I will walk out of the locker room for a while until those other guys come back in because I just feel like that's not my space and I don't want to be in there. You know, I covered uh, Major League Baseball just long enough to know that uh, you go in that clubhouse for a reason. You go in there to get your work done, and then you get out of there because it's not your house, um, and especially when they're losing. Because when the, I mean, if those guys are winning, you know they'll be like, "Hey, stay, hang out a while." Like they're just they're that, that that's who they are. That's who that whole program is. They're just good people. I, I really believe that. But man, that was a tough place to be because you know when you feel like you're you're doing something special, and then it's just ripped away from you like that. I mean, I don't care what happens the rest of his basketball career. I guarantee you, Jordan Bone will never forget that he did not get his hand up there. He will never forget that. Kyle Alexander will stay up at night wondering, is there anything I could have done during those couple of days to get better, to get out there on the court and play and make a difference? Even if I you know, wasn't in the best condition, is there a way I could have gotten out there? You know, all these guys will beat themselves up. The guards will also say, what if we'd gotten the ball to Grant Williams just a couple more times during the game? You know, and Bone also, during the first half of that game, if he doesn't, if he just makes a simple layup, Admiral Schofield doesn't bump into the Loyola player under the basket and get a second foul when he has just been destroying Loyola. Loyola had no one even in the same class as Schofield athletically. No one who could stop him. No one. He was going inside. He was going outside. He was scoring. He was doing everything. And again, it's it's not like every layup is simple, but if Bone just puts that ball in the bucket, Schofield doesn't accidentally bump into the guy under the basket, and there's no foul there. And it's all these little things that matter so much. And all these guys who had worked so hard will have to go and think about those things. And if if they use those things as motivation to get better, then it might be worth it in the long run because so much of this team is coming back. Yeah, you have to you have to think that shot shapes their offseason. That devastation shapes their offseason. Same way with Duke basketball. I mean, look at that Elite Eight game, Grayson Allen. How many yeah. how many rolls on the rim did he not get on that final shot that would have sent them to the final four and then uh, Kansas wins in overtime? You have to think those kind of moments shape your off seasons, uh, especially with the Tennessee team, like you said, that returns so much. Uh, but so much of this season, uh, what what made this team special, and what made it feel like there was a lot of magic surrounding this team was the chemistry they had. The uh, there, you know there wasn't a bad personality in that locker room. Nope. They honestly did root for each other and and their collective success over their individual stuff. 
Uh, it's going to be hard to to bottle that up and, and recreate it next year, even though you do have 12 of the 13 scholarship guys scheduled to come back. It's not going to be hard to recreate that. That's, that felt like something you want to bottle up and save, but it's, yeah. it's not something you're going to be able to do. So how they handle the success, I mean, Admiral Schofield said after the game, after the Loyola loss that, uh, you know, we'll never be the hunted, we'll always be the hunters. Well, that's easy to say. It's it's a little bit different to, to play out and show that, that you're capable of doing that. So uh, and even Rick Barnes said it took him a week to get over that game before he could start thinking about yeah. how this team could get better. So uh, if they use it the right way, maybe they can handle expectations next year the right way and have that same kind of chemistry. Um, but if there's a positive to take away from that kind of loss, maybe it changes your offseason. Uh, and refocuses you like like never before. Yeah, because these guys are all basketball junkies. They're going to be watching the Final Four. They just they're going to watch it just like they watch the NBA playoffs. When you're a basketball guy, you're a basketball guy, and th- it seems like most of those guys in that program to me are basketball guys. Um, you know, guys like Omonte Turner. Like, I wonder how many things they he watches that are not basketball. You know, that's just who they are. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that's how driven they are and how focused they are. And they're going to watch. Final Four, they're going to watch a Loyola team they should have beaten, and they're going to watch a Villanova team that they had what a fifteen or fourteen point lead on in the first, in the early in the second half. They're going to look at that, and they're going to say, "We should be there." And if they if they combine that with that chemistry that they had last season, while they're pushing each other to be better, but still staying on that same plane chemistry wise, which will be hard to recreate, honestly, because it's second year. You'll have guys who want more minutes. You'll have guys who are getting older in their careers and one step closer to playing either overseas or maybe somewhere here domestically, and they want to further their career. So they're going to want more shots. They're going to want to show what they can do because that that's human nature. So it, it's hard to recreate that, but if these guys do that, then even though they're not going to be sneaking up on anybody next season, I'll be surprised if they're not a top – you said, I think, Grant, top 15 team. I think they could be and maybe should be a preseason top 10 team. I think when you're bringing back that many guys from a team that was that good, uh, I think that that when I'm a voter, I'm looking at that and going, well, if I had a, if I had a, an AP vote, they'd be top 10. But your guess is probably safer. And, and, you know, I think maybe somewhere in the low teens could be It depends be on they, who they add to the roster, uh, what, what kind of expectations that could change uh, just based on position – uh, if it is a four-year guy, uh, a high school kid that they sign, or if they end up going to the grad transfer market, or uh, if there's any uh, transfer available immediately, guys falling out from this FBI stuff. I mean, it just depends on who they add to the roster. But to, to go back to your point about you can look at Loyola and you can look at uh, Nova in this Final Four, two teams that they played and, and could have beaten technically. I mean, look at Michigan. They're a, they're a number three seed just like Tennessee was. They're a – uh, kind of the band of misfits where a lot of people didn't want those guys. There were a lot of under-recruited guys. They kind of have a similar story to Tennessee, and they play defense, and their defense keeps them in games, and they try to find enough offense to win games. I mean, I think you could – if you're Tennessee, you could model yourself after Michigan and, and try to be the next Michigan because they have a, a veteran head coach who's been around and done it a lot. They have a lot of talent, even though they weren't five-star talents or one-and-done guys. Uh, if your defense can keep you in it, you can make a special run. Uh, like Michigan has made over the years uh, under John Beeline in these tournament settings. Yeah, and you look at that and, and you say, you know, you can motivate these guys by saying, listen, as good as your defense was, and it was one of the five most efficient defenses in college basketball pretty much throughout the season, you were one stop away 
from going on in March Madness. You were one stop away. It came down to your defense, and you didn't make the play. And they're going to they're gonna know that. Now, hey, their best defender wasn't out there, or their best post defender anyway was not out there. And you'll never convince me that that did not have a huge impact in that game. But that's, that's life. That, that happens. Uh, it's, it's a physical sport. Guys get hurt. And this team was built around a depth that should have been able to overcome that, at least against a team like Loyola. It should have been enough. Even though I'm not discounting Loyola, I'm not trashing I mean, Loyola, it was but, but it should. It, it was enough because they were up with 20 seconds left. Despite, and, and this, this is the point I was taking a way too long a time to get to, but how many times during this season, Grant, did we sit here on this podcast or did we sit there in a car on the interstate driving somewhere or in an arena or in a media workroom somewhere? How many times have we had this conversation? You know, they won, but they really could have played a lot better. We said that a lot, a lot. And I don't think we were wrong. I think this team did win despite the fact that it could have played better. It had lapses during games that were frustrating. Uh, it had times where there were just ne- careless turnovers that just don't need to happen. You know, it had times where maybe some some weird combinations were out there on the floor and they didn't create anything offensively. Uh, they had times where uh, they got, you know, maybe just a little bit lazy defensively. There were times where they they – there were so many games they won. Even they beat good teams when they could have played better. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I mean, it felt like we sat here on this podcast all year and picked apart the uh, the inconsistencies and flaws of a team that was really good. And it felt like we yeah. were harping on the negative, but, I mean, they were inconsistent. The one thing they did consistently uh, was win games despite those inconsistencies. And I think you need to use this offseason with so many players returning to start perfecting some stuff you got to get better guard play across the board more consistent guard play uh you need to be admiral Schofield to keep being the admiral Schofield that he was for the last four weeks of the season uh you need grant williams to take the next step and and be a guy that handles doubles in the post better uh, does a little bit of everything better because he is such a good basketball player right now that if he can just do a few things better uh, he can be an elite player i mean he's the sec player of the year as a sophomore but he can still do more it feels like when you watch his game he can still do more uh, Kyle Alexander, if he doesn't know his impact on this team after that final game, he better know it moving forward because if he's in that game, like you said, it feels like a different outcome. Uh, so he can take another step. I mean, all these guys, they, they have flaws that they can correct and get better over over an off season spent thinking about uh, how the last season ended. It should be a, uh, you know, roles will change next year. As Rick Barnes said in his press conference Monday, roles will change. Competition will be wide open in practice because you just kind of hit the reset button. Uh, and let these guys compete with themselves uh, and go from there. But it, it'll be interesting, you know, when, when October rolls around November, what this team looks like, how similar it is. Are we still sitting here talking about the, the same stuff we've been talking about for the last year, uh, or are they starting to fix these things? It's really, really funny that you mentioned that because I had a couple other things I wanted to get to here before we get out of here, and we'll do that, one of the, one of them being – Will everyone who's supposed to come back, come back? So we were going to talk about that next, but since you just mentioned that, I wrote on this sheet of paper right here four things that I thought Tennessee needed to do to go farther next season and to be better next season. Tell me if these sound a whole lot like you, what you just said. Number one, with a bullet, point guards, more consistency. Got to have it. Uh, It starts with Jordan Bone because he is so talented, but – you know, you could throw Lamonte Turner in there if he's going to have to play the point. 
if Jordan Bowden has to handle the ball more going forward, if they don't get the point guard they want in, in this recruiting cycle, you know, regardless, beg, borrow, or steal, transfer, or guys they have now, point guard play has got to get better. It's the head of the snake, and this team will go as far as the point guards. You know, and, and again, it's not just one guy, but we just mentioned a kind of a couple of huge mistakes in that game that Bone made that were if either one of those things goes the other way, this team's moving on, just one thing. And it's not fair sometimes, I guess, that point guards get as much credit or as much blame as they get. But it's like the quarterback in football, man. That That's part of the job. And I'm never going to rag on a kid. Like, let's say Colton Jumper, for instance. I didn't get after Colton Jumper that hard because I pretty much knew, and I think everybody pretty much knew, he was doing everything he could to be the best player he could be. So if he couldn't make a play, that's on the coaches for not recruiting a better player. That's, that's not his fault. He is out there doing everything he can. And if it's not good enough, hey, that, that's, that's not your fault. But if you're a guy who could play better, and if you're a guy like Jordan Bone who has such unbelievable athletic ability, unbelievable touch on his passes, he sees the court really well, for a guy who can do the things he can do, there's no excuse to not be more consistent. There just isn't. And whether that's he, him not responding to Barnes' quick trigger sometimes, or whether that's not you know a mental thing that he and Barnes are just not on the same page, uh, maybe maybe coaching is part of it. Maybe you have to handle him differently. I, I don't know, but somehow that's got to get better. That's number one. Number two, Grant Williams needs to get in better physical shape. Uh, he's a much better athlete than people think he is, but he's a guy who I think he I think he acknowledges this, and I know we all know Barnes acknowledges this. He's a guy whose natural tendency is to be a little bit lethargic. He's just kind of a happy-go-lucky kid. And that means he's not going to push himself constantly the way that an Admiral Schofield pushes himself or the way that Lamonte Turner pushes himself or the way even a guy like Eve Pons, you know, pushes himself. He, he doesn't – he maybe doesn't have that alpha mentality in him all the time to just be the guy. Um, but he has the game to be the guy. And if he pushes himself just a little bit better physically, you'll notice that how many times early in the season did he show that explosive athletic ability that we said, wow, look how much more athletic he was even than he was last season. And then toward the end of the season, you didn't see that as much. I got to think the hip back injury was part of it. I'll always believe that. And I think Barnes is the kind of guy who won't make excuses for him, but I think that's true. But he also, maybe if he were in a little better shape, It'd be like a relief pitcher or, I mean, a starting pitcher who wears down toward the end of the regular season. You just you got to run more. you got to be in better shape to keep the arm from falling apart. That's number two. Uh, number three um, is two guys, Admiral Schofield and Kyle Alexander, just keep doing what you're doing because Schofield became a star. He went from a pretty good player to a star late in the season. That was the big one. Uh, and Kyle Alexander, the – improvements that he made from his sophomore year to his junior year and how important he is to this team now, and I think he knows it. I think he finally knows it. That is something that needs to happen. They just both need to stay on that same path. They're both working hard. They're both improving, and Alexander's becoming a really good role player um, that he's going to be, and Admiral Schofield's kind of making that transition to to, to being a star. That That's... To me, that's pretty, that's pretty consistent. And then the, the final thing for me is um, one more guy on the wing 
and one more guy in the post improve. Now, you'd like for all of them to improve, but Tennessee needs somebody behind Schofield at the three and not necessarily because a lot of times they, they slide Bowden in there. They'll even play Lamonte Turner there sometimes for a few rotations. But I'm talking about Pawns and Jalen Johnson. One of those two guys, get it going. Get it going. Or both. Or both, yeah. But it, I'm talking bare minimum. Yeah. They get better minutes from one of them consistently because they're both they, – they might be the two best athletes on the team, to be honest with you. They might they, be. They are. I mean, you know, Bone's right there because he's so fast, too, and can jump. But th- that's that's one part of it. And the other part of it is uh, Derek Walker, Zach Kent, somebody, somebody step up there and go so you're not having to play Williams – as much at the five because that's not just what he does. He can do it and he can do it fine, but he's better at the four. And, and so those four things I just mentioned are almost carbon copy of what you said of the, the path for this team, because this team will know everything Barnes wants to do, you know, X's and O's Y schematically, they'll be able to add in more zone. They'll be able to mix up their pressure. They'll be able to tweak some things offensively and do a little more things. So, so when they're having to, they're not having to dumb it down, when they put guys like Eve out there, because now he'll know it too. Everybody will know what they're trying to do or should. So they'll be able to add even more. They've established that they're a man-to-man team. They've established what their base sets are offensively. Now they can build on that and have more answers for when teams do other things. But I think the beautiful part about this is we know what they need to do, don't we? I mean, I mean, we're not looking at this saying – well, maybe if this – we know, here are things. This is a checklist of what this team has to do, and it's it's pretty clear going into the offseason that if this team does that, those four things right there that I just mentioned, we're maybe talking about a Final Four team. We, we really might be. Yeah, and, and along with all those things, they realize how quickly these things can end. Uh, they were a victim of that. They know full well. It's great to get the NCAA tournament. It's great to win a first-round game the way they did, but if you don't take care of business – uh, it can end that quickly, uh, despite how much of a, a fun and, and, you know, great year you had thinking you can do a lot of things. It's it's over like that. But, I mean, the checklist is, yeah, it's it's long and it's, it's, it's something that it's not hard to figure out what this team needs to do. It's just uh, a matter of if they can do it uh, and if they show that they've done it. And to me it starts with, <coughs> excuse me, again, it starts with bone. Yeah, but I mean, I the, think or the, or the point guard position. The problem is, and this was pointed out on our board as soon as Rick Barnes said it during his press conference. He he compared it to to Jalen Brunson. He said the first game he watched since the Loyola game was Villanova Texas Tech in the Elite Eight, uh, and the way Jalen Brunson controlled that game, he went when he knew ha- uh, that he had to go. He slowed it down when he knew he had to slow it down. He just had complete control. Uh, over the game. Well, Jalen Brunson was a five-star number 22 kid in the composite in his class. Sure. Jordan Bones a three-star, ranked 171. I mean, there's going to be flaws that come with that. It's up to you to fix those flaws. It's up oh, to you. sure. No, it's, it's up to you to develop that raw talent that, that Jordan Bone has and find those consistencies. I just – that was a – it's not the comparison I would have made sitting there. No, it, it's not either, but I think and, – and I tried to mention this earlier. I, I was probably a little too soft about it, to be honest, but – I, again, I, I don't. When I say the thing with Jordan Bones got to get fixed, I, I mean not just him. I mean everyone around him. I, I mean the coaching that he gets. Yeah. I, I mean that you know if you're Rick Barnes and you have learned now that you're not going to be able to get what you want out of Bone, 
you're going to have to either adjust the way you coach him or adjust your expectations at some point. And I don't know when that point is. Is it this offseason? Is it midway through next season? Is it through the first five games of next season? I don't know. I don't know. But if you don't get, if you keep getting the same result and you keep trying it, well, we know that's crazy. So that, that's what insanity is. So I, I, I don't want to throw it all on bone. I want to, I mean, obviously it starts with him because he, and I think he is potentially that good. I really do. And if I didn't think he was, you know, it's like with guys like Robert Hubbs, you know, guys like Scotty Hobson, the guys who are McCray early in his career, the guys who could be better are the guys who deserve the stick. Because, and I'm not saying he, that he, he's going to be as good as any of those guys. I'm just saying you see that ability in him. And if you can see it, look at the way he played against Arkansas. Just dominated that game when he was on the floor. Just dominated it. And you're not going to be like that every night. But, you know, to have that kind of, that kind of control of the floor. It's not, and maybe he didn't mean in terms of Brunson. Maybe he meant me- mentally as much as physically. Maybe he meant just the way that he just understanding the he game. understood and had control of the game and didn't do those little things that cause problems. Only a couple more things to talk about before we get out of here, Grant, is um, I guess there are no specifics on this now, but in this day and age, things are so transient that we keep assuming that guys are going to come back. You know, we keep assuming that, that Schofield's not going to, that Schofield's going to come back. We assume that Grant Williams is going to come back. You know, but if you're Schofield, there's no reason why you wouldn't at least test the market because you're a junior and you're free to do so. So go do some workouts and see what you hear. Hey, there's no harm in doing that whatsoever. If you're Grant, you're a sophomore, maybe you don't do that. But you look at these other guys and these role players, are they going to stick through it and push through it and become better players? Or are they going to try to go pick up and start over somewhere else where they can get more minutes? In college basketball these days, the fact is, or in college sports in general, we, we just don't know anymore, do we? Because of grad transfer rules, because of all the guys who transfer, guys that go down to a JUCO and then back to you know, an SEC school. We see this stuff every year. So, you know, it, it, it's like the way I look at it is I'm not going to predict anything, but I would almost imagine that one guy goes because that's just what happens. Yeah, it's college basketball. I mean, and you look at it the last two years, how many transfers have they had? Quay Parker, uh, Shimbari Phillips. Is that it? Seems like that's it. I mean, you just expect it. And you can just kind of go down the the, the stats, uh, the season stats, and just kind of start picking out the minutes played, uh, who didn't do much, and, and kind of the way each player's being talked about. I mean, Jalen Johnson and Eve Pons were two of the, the two least uh, – minutes played, the fewest minutes played uh, among scholarship players, uh, but the way Rick talked about them on Monday during the press conference, are, they're big-time factors in the future of Tennessee basketball. Uh, Chris Darrington uh, is towards the bottom of that list, too, 8.4 minutes per game, and the way Chris, uh, the way Rick talked about him Monday during that press conference was he didn't really step up his level of competition as the season went on. and that But he had the ability to do but it. He, and he's a good basketball player. That's what Rick said. Is he a good basketball player? Yes, he's a good basketball player. Uh, so you just kind of start going down the list and, and wondering. But, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy not to expect a, a transfer just because of the way college basketball is going. Uh, but you just wait and see. I mean, they had they started meetings this week, the individual kind of uh, season exit interviews between players and coaches, and, and they go from there. 
but we'll we'll see. But yeah, it's, it's it would be surprising if if something didn't happen. And it, it, you know, if you prove to Barnes that you are good enough to go out there and play, he will change his rotation and play you. He he did that. You know, if Darrington hadn't had that ankle injury during the off season, you know, late, well, like right before camp started, who knows what this season would have been like. But even then, Barnes gave him the benefit of the doubt when he came back and threw him heavily into the rotation. He was playing a lot. His plus minus numbers were actually pretty good. Uh, but, you know, it, it didn't it, it didn't go the way that, that he wanted it to go from there. With Eve Pons, as soon as he came back, um, proved his ankles were getting better at least, uh, and they lost a game, you know, weren't playing their best. Barnes said, hell with it, and put Eve Pons in the rotation. He'll do that. If you go earn minutes, if you're Jalen Johnson, if you're Eve Pons, and you want to, if you want to go prove that you can play he'll play you he does not care remember jerry seinfeld the old bit old i'm old and i'm coming back i'm not looking i'm putting it in reverse and i'm going back that that is everything barnes does is by that mantra he is old he wants to win and he doesn't care he's not going to cheat but other than that he doesn't care what he has to do to win he's going to do it he wants to win he's a competitive guy and and, and when it comes to these players he's going to match your investment if you're 100 percent invested in the program and bingo. getting better he's going to be 100 percent invested in you if you're not uh, if you're less than 100% invested, he's going to help you find your next spot and get you out the door and find somebody else who's going to be number uh, 100% invested. I mean, that's just kind of the way he operates. He's not – I don't think he takes offense or, or gets personally offended or holds it against anybody. I mean, you saw it with Shimbari. They, they, they play Georgia Tech every year. He let him go home to Atlanta to play for Georgia Tech uh, because it wasn't working out at Tennessee. So he's going to match your investment if you're not in it. If you're not pulling the, the same direction as your teammates, he'll, he'll let you go and he'll move on and find somebody else. Three great examples of that. If uh, as inconsistent as Jordan Bowden was shooting the basketball and as good as I think a lot of us still think he could be at some point, how many times does Barnes really ever say a crossword about that kid publicly? He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He defends him constantly. Not because he likes Bowden as a kid, he loves Kyle Alexander and gives him a hard time sometimes. You know, he, he he loves a lot of these guys. I mean, as kids, he loves them all, as far as I can tell. But if you're Admiral Schofield and you take a bad shot, he'll look at you and tell you to dial it back a notch. If you're Lamonte Turner and you take a dumb shot, he'll he'll let you take it down a notch. And something else I noticed when we got to sit behind the bench during the postseason, Lamonte Turner talks to Barnes much more often than anyone else on the team does, period, dot, end of sentence. Lamonte Turner is like a coach when he's on the floor. You know, the other guards, he'll call them over to talk to them. Lamonte Turner will go to him mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, coach, you know, it was, um, what was it again? It was against Wright State or somebody. He went up to him and he's like, they can't guard ball screens. Coach, they, coach, they, can't, they can't do ball screens. They can't do it. And Barnes is like, okay, let's, let's, let's mix in more of that. And because Lamonte Turner puts in the work every single day, and Barnes is going to match that. Uh, he does that. He does that with Bowden, and he does that with Admiral, and and with Kyle. As much as he loves him, he wants him to focus more sometimes, or he thinks more can get out of him. So he still takes him out of the game when he doesn't do some things he should be doing. And Grant Williams, he gets goes hard after him because he loves the kid, but he knows that Williams could be better. So I think that's you just said it very curtly in a way that I could have said it, but I took too many words. He will one hundred percent match your investment. Last thing, Grant, what? should we expect from this team next season? I do think it matters what kind of guard they bring in because they're going to bring in a guard. Begbar or Steele, they're bringing in a guard, uh, at least one, and, and we'll see. But I, I think regardless of what happens 
around. Unless Kentucky brings in the most ridiculous class in the history of classes, I know Vandy's bringing in five stars. I know that LSU's bringing in great prospects. I know that as good as the SEC was this season, it, w- it will be even better next season. You're adding coaches like Tom Crean into it. You're adding Kermit Davis into it. Uh, so you're taking the lower ones and bringing them up a little bit. That's going to be a brutal, brutal, brutal league next season. I think you should ex- expect a good basketball team, obviously. They proved they're a good basketball team now. They're returning the, the uh, basically the roster intact aside from uh, James Daniel and anything else that happens from here. Uh, the difference is going to be expectations. They're probably going to be picked top three or top four in the SEC, depending on uh, Kentucky, Florida, Texas A&M, kind of how they're viewed over the offseason and going into next fall. Uh, they should be a team that from day one, their goal is, you know, get back to the SEC tournament with that double bye, be a top four, and, and start playing for the postseason, uh, eyeing the postseason all year and, and kind of trying to reflect and, and figure out what they couldn't do this year that they have to do next year uh, to, to build on this. I, I think I think they'll handle the expectations fine because they, they seem to be a team this year that, uh, they didn't step back when the, the expectations grew as they kept winning basketball games. They kept playing well um, and did what they did. So it's going to be a good basketball team. It could be a great basketball team. Uh, they'll be expected to be a, at least a good basketball team, and, and those expectations will be some people that expect them to be great. So uh, how do they handle it? I don't know. It should be – I would be surprised if they didn't handle it well, but it's going to be different next year just in terms of outside expectations and, and Tennessee basketball kind of – having that buzz back around it and kind of being on the map a little bit more. Yeah, I'll I'll say this. I I think that Tennessee, again, will not be the most talented team in the league next season, but that was the case this season too. Uh, It it depends on how you define talent, to be honest with you. But, you know, in terms of just athletically looking the prettiest and all that. But if in my opinion, if Tennessee is the toughest team in the SEC next season, Tennessee will win the SEC next season because you're going to be bringing in a boatload more of great players to Kentucky – Vanderbilt's getting at least two five-stars. LSU's adding a five-star and some good players. Uh, There's going to be better coaching at places like um, Ole Miss. I mean, there's going to be – you know, Mississippi State's bringing back a lot. Um, Auburn, we'll see what's going on there with the FBI stuff and Bruce. But in theory, they're an even younger team than Tennessee, and they were the co-champions. But if, in my mind, if Tennessee is tougher than those teams physically, it can overpower those young, talented kids. It can be the team that you just don't want to play because they're just going to beat you up physically. They're going to go at you. They're going to they're going to hit you from every which way. They're going to knock you down, and they'll have the depth to where foul trouble doesn't kill them. So, I think it all comes down next year if they bottle up that chemistry and if they stay tough, then I think they'll win the SEC, and I think they should. Uh, and if right now, if you're telling me right now to pick the SEC next season, I'm putting Tennessee at one probably because I think they deserve that. Uh, now they got to go play with that target on their back. They're not going to surprise anybody. They're not going to sneak up on anybody. But I think that if they're physically tougher than the rest, I, I think they've proven who they are and what they're about, and I think they're going to win it. But if they can live up to Admirals, we'll never be the hunted. We'll always be the hunters. They'll be fine. Yeah, and if they can do what Admiral did on the, uh, on the court too, that would, that would help. That would help. If Admiral can keep doing what he was doing, the end of the season when he was looking like one of the best players in college basketball guys thanks for listening all season long for basketball we're going to keep doing football podcasts obviously one or two of those a week we'll mix in some basketball ones when we if we get some good interviews or some big news happens 
We can always do another Rucker and Ramey basketball podcast. We're not going to completely ignore that in the offseason. This fan base is too good to, to deserve that. So we'll be back on Friday, uh, Thursday or Friday, probably Friday, with a football podcast. And uh, the full lineup of all these podcasts, you can go to Spotify, go to Apple, uh, iTunes Store, Droid Market, uh, Google Play, all of those places. Tune in, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere now. Go there. And uh, last thing, etch.com slash dwtks. It's not for me. It's not about me. It's about the kids. Let's go help those healthy kids or help those kids get healthy. Thanks, guys. Grant, any final thoughts? We talked for an hour, and we didn't mention the Memphis series is back, and it starts at Memphis next year, so get ready for donuts. Gibson's donuts, to be specific. It's a good final word.